This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, uh, a very Merry Christmas to you all. We're recording on, on Christmas Eve, so I, I can I, I can very much imagine that you're listening to this at some point over the Christmas period. Um, and thank you for sharing your Christmas with us. Unfortunately, whilst I'm wishing you a Merry Christmas, it certainly was not one as Albion travelled up to the northeast on Saturday afternoon and turned in what I would say is comfortably their worst performance of the season. The data goes some way to back that up. Albion's equal worst XG against, 2.1 against, which um, equals uh, what Swansea put against us at the Hawthorns. Um, Our second worst XG4, 0.4 in a game. The only time we've had lower XG4 than that was Leeds away. And our worst um, expected goal difference, one, minus 1.7 over the course of the game. Comfortably our worst, that, worse than the minus 1.5 we posted at, at Leeds. So basically, on in terms of the data, our most comprehensive defeat of the season, even though we lost the game only 1-0. Pete, I mean, I described it as as pathetic, as uh, I thought it was flat. Um, Corbran has, in, in his post-match comments, uh, criticised the energy, has basically said that, you know, you need to give 100% to win these games and we didn't give 100% collectively or individually. Overall, I just feel very, very sorry for the fans who travelled, uh, of which I know you were one. Yeah, it was a, a long journey up to see that performance. But as you say, it, could, it was one that could have been easily more than 1-0 if it hadn't been for Alex Palmer in goal. And it was a performance that felt very tired. Um, but also credit to Middlesbrough because I thought they were excellent. And I mean, they definitely fully deserved the win. But I think I think we were poor, but I think it was probably more down to Middlesbrough being very, very good than us being poor. Um, 
obviously does, both does contributed. Carlos's com- comments about energy worry you because they played in midweek in in the League Cup quarterfinal. I think eight of the starting eleven played against uh, against Port Vale, which okay was a fairly fairly straightforward evening for them. But non- uh, nonetheless, you know you've still got to play the game and. And yet we had we had a midweek off. Okay, it was an unchanged side from the one that drew with with Stoke, but they've still had they've still had seven days to prepare where Middlesbrough haven't. And yet Corbran comes out afterwards and says our energy levels weren't there collectively. We didn't give a hundred percent. You know, I, 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 I'm not going to get too heavily on the, the team's back because, as I've said on on social media and as I've said on this podcast, the we spent the first year or so of this podcast basically saying we don't want to watch these players we don't enjoy watching them we don't like them they don't seem to care about the shirt they don't uh, they, they they don't understand what it means to be a West Bromwich Albion player now that has massively changed under Carlos Corbran and these kind of events that we saw at Middlesbrough are rare but nonetheless I think you know to be reasonable with the way we do our podcast we can't ignore them when they happen and whilst we hope they're a flash in the pan it's not acceptable to the weekend before Christmas give any, go and give anything less than a hundred percent and and give lower energy levels than a team that pl- had played in midweek when you haven't. Yeah, and I, I mean, speaking of that, a lot of the players have have played a lot of games recently. Obviously, we're struggling struggling with injuries, and it's forcing a fair a few players to be playing every single game. But equally, Middlesbrough also struggling with injuries, so it's not really an, an excuse you can use. Um, to explain that the energy levels were low, um, because in that case you'd expect Middles was to be as well. Um, so I'm not really sure what you can say on it. It's a slight worry for for the upcoming fixtures because there's not much uh, not much rest time in between. Um, and as I mentioned before, a lot of those players are going to be starting the next few games as well because we've got no other choice. Um, so you've got to hope it's it's not down to real fitness levels um, and more just down to there been like a, a lack of energy on that specific day for some reason. It, um, it because... felt like a bit uh, like like the energy levels dropped off though, Pete. Because uh, because we actually, I mean, it's it's very easy to forget that we actually started the game okay. We we played quite well first half, but second half was abysmal. It was atrocious, wasn't it? I mean, that that we we're sitting here saying this is the worst performance we've turned in all season, and over the course of the piece, it was. But actually, if we if we'd replicated the first half performance in the second half, we probably wouldn't be sitting here saying this. But that second half performance was it was nothing. It was it was a disgrace. Yeah, and it felt as soon as the goal went in that Middlesbrough gained a lot of energy, and and we kind of felt a bit demoralised because um, as soon as that goal went in, they seemed to be pressing. Oh, Seem to be giving the ball away more cheaply, and that seemed to be to me where the where the game swung. Um, after that goal, we never really recovered, and because I think for the first twenty minutes or so, we were probably on top. We had a couple of chances. Middlesbrough didn't have too much, but then they cut through us with, for that goal, and and after that, we never really looked like we were in the game again. Well, let's let's look at that goal, Pete, because um, we I mean we obviously both watch the games in full and we <laughs> we came on here and uh, and we, we we always have a li- just to give you a little bit of a peek be- behind behind the curtain um Pete and I we exchange a few whatsapps during uh, during the game but we don't have a comprehensive conversation about about the match we have a we we have a bit of a sort of 
semi debrief before before we start recording and and we started talking about uh, about the goal with neither of us actually having watched the highlights at this point um i think it, it's odd because we normally watch the highlights back before before we start recording and i think both of us had kind of like not got the mental willing to do it 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 had been it had been that bad and before we'd watched the highlights back we both uh, we, we uh, i sat here and i said i think the goal's grady's fault and you went I'm not sure. I thought it was Furlong's fault. And then, so simultaneously, we've both put the YouTube highlights up whilst on uh, on on the Zoom call that we used to record, and <laughs> we've we've watched we've watched the goal back. And I don't think either of us have changed our opinion. So I think we're slightly on 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 the different page on this one. But I'll I'll give you my thoughts, and then you can you can, you can give yours, Pete. I I personally think it's Grady's fault because. Engel make it makes the, makes the run, and Furlong has has tucked inside. Wallace is stopping the passer. Furlong has tucked inside because the winger has tucked inside, which which is his man. And Grady then the 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 run comes from the fullback, who I believe to be uh, to be Grady's man. And Grady is slow to react, doesn't realise that run's coming. The ball inside Grady is absolutely outstanding. By the way, I have to give credit for that. And he doesn't go with Engel and Engel gets the ball across. And I also think Sarmiento in the middle is is slow to track Morgan Rogers as well. That having been said, I'll openly admit I'm basing that opinion on the fact that we are man to man in those areas and not zonal. In which case, I, I would imagine that your that, that your take on it being more Furlong's fault than Dean Garner's is based on a on a on a on a zonal marking as opposed to a man to man. Yeah, exactly that. I, I mean, I'm definitely not set in stone on my opinion on this, but I think as soon as the winger moves inside, Furlong can pass him on and kind of keep his position fairly wide, um, so that when Engels makes his run forward, that Furlong's still there um, because. Grady's position initially stops any pass going inside to the wing, going to the winger that's moved inside, because he's behind Grady. Grady would easily intercept anything there. So therefore, Furlong doesn't need to follow him inside. And if Furlong just holds his position fairly well, I'd assume that ball played out to Engels or Engels makes a run, then Furlong's there to track it. And I suppose Grady would still be positioned in that seam, kind of between what you'd call the centre back. I think it was Yakuza at the time and the full back to stop any ball that's played inside of there, um, which was the ball that cut cut Grady apart and caused the problems. So I think if, if Furlong just kind of held his position, told Grady that the man's moved inside, Grady would have been there to stop any passes to that winger that's moved inside. Furlong would have been more prepared and more set and in a slightly deeper position to defend any balls that go in behind to angles once he's made his run and he can see it all happening. What happened was that you know Furlong moved inside, Grady didn't move outside and drop quick enough and then when he did he kind of just got in a muddle because the ball was played I think inside of him rather than what was he expecting outside and it curts apart I, I mean I'm, I'm not taking any responsibility away from Grady um, because the way that it happened he didn't react quick enough afterwards um, no matter whether um, Furlong should have moved inside afterward, uh, before uh, Grady's got to react quicker afterwards and I suppose we'll never know what well, the only people who know are the coaches and the players, don't they? Because they they know whether they've told to be zonal or man to man. And I think both of our arguments have legitimacy. I'm I'm basing on 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 a uh, on a on a man to man system. 
and you're basing yours on a zonal system, w- one of those is almost certainly true, and, uh, and and we're playing one of the two. But with, without without having intimate access to Carlos Corbran's tactics, we can't possibly know. One thing that I would like to flag, though, Pete, and I and I, re- <laughs> I realise this is ironic because we we put out some data around the fullbacks and supporting the fact that they're better than a lot of people give them credit for in the week, but equally. As much as as much as people like to accuse us of of having favourites and sticking up for certain players above others, and and I, I know I know I'm I'm as I've said before, renowned as the chairman of the of the Conor Carlos uh, uh, fan club, I, I I like to think we are where we spot a bit of a worrying trend, whether it's about a player that we've stuck up for in the past or not. I, I like to think we raise that, and I just want to raise one around Darnell Furlong, Pete. There's just been where where people have doubled up and where there's been decisions to be made on uh, on on the pitch around Darnell Furlong I'm thinking back to the, the the Sunderland goal where we said there was a bit of confusion as to who was who was going to go to the player who was going to stay we've had a similar a similar issue uh, issue here I, I'm uh, and I've, I've seen it more than once with with Darnell Furlong that I just wonder whether some of his decision making, whether whether when when there's when there's a slightly complicated situation, and I, I do admit that it is a complicated situation because you have to make quick decisions on a football pitch, and the Borough in particular, are a team that move the ball so quickly. I mean, it, you know, it's and, it, and it's so hard to stay with their runners, and the, and and they're they're so athletic, some of them as well, that it can be really really challenging. So I'm not saying what I'm asking Dar- of Darnell Furlong here is easy, but where teams do that sort of thing uh, around Darnell Furlong, I just worry sometimes about his decision making and whether he whether he causes causes confusion because you look at Grady and he and the way he's positioned with with, where he's trying to look at the passer but also trying to trying to look at the runner over his shoulder which is virtually impossible without the, the the peripheral vision of an owl basically it does feel like Somewhere along the line, Darnell has caused confusion. There was that complete confusion with Pippa for the uh, for for the, the the Sunderland second goal, which I have to say I feel like Darnell caused, and I feel like sometimes his decision making, especially in a in a system that is so regimented as it is under Carlos Corbran, and players feel like they know exactly what they should be doing. I, I do wonder whether there's an element where. Darnell Furlong sometimes almost his muscle memory kicks in and he does things that is not in the plan and it confuses other players. I, I worry about his decision making. Is that do you think there's something in that? Is that fair? Yeah, potentially. I mean, generally, not just against Albion, but generally, teams will move the ball forward down the wings. So the fullbacks are naturally going to have a lot of work to do, and you've got to make the right decisions and and stick to the plan when the ball's going out there because. The vast majority of, of passes into the final third will be down the wings, no matter who you play against, um, and no matter which team you are. Which I think also probably causes some of the confusion that we we um, teams target our fullbacks. I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. I think it's just much easier to to move the ball forward down the wings. I think every team does it. It's just the fact that we watch Albion every week. It looks like we're being targeted there, but I think it's just kind of um, what happens in most games. Um, but yeah, it's, it means that the fullbacks have got to be good and have to consistently make the right decision. Because if you don't, then that's when you you start to let teams in and um, let teams into the box to get cutbacks like Middlesbrough did, and that's when um, teams start to create really good chances. 
it also kind of links back to what we were saying last week about stopping the cross. It's it's much more threatening when a team gets into the box like Middlesbrough did for the goal and can pull the ball back like that and and have a shot from a free shot from the penalty spot. That's a great um, point, Pete. Because I mean, that's that's exactly what I, what I was saying about Connor Townsend when people were saying, "Why is he not getting tight? Why is he uh, why why is he not um, why is he not trying to trying to stop a ball from deep?" Because they don't threaten us, but where 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 we massively have problems is those cutbacks towards the penalty spot, and 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 the last thing Connor Townsend wants 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 to do in that situation last week against Stoke is let Lyndon Gooch get to the byline. And to be and to be fair, and there are things you can criticise Connor Townsend for, and I I do accept that as much as people think I don't. I don't think get it, letting players get to the byline is one that you, is one that you can criticise him for, but that's where the goal comes from yesterday, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, the goal against Middlesbrough, there's there's no chance of a cross, so it's not like we're linking it directly, but it's just just an example of letting players get to the byline and how dangerous that can be, especially to us, because I mean, the thing against Middlesbrough was we were defending with a lot of players on the on the last line rather than than having players kind of. In, in different lines and different levels. Um, so if there was a cross whipped in, we'd have been in a good position to defend that because we've got plenty of players on that last line. But as soon as that cutback's, the cutback's delivered, we've not got people at different levels to, to prevent Middlesbrough getting a free shot on goal um, because Yukushli was part of the back line. Um, I'm not sure where Mert was, whether he was as well. Um, so then it's down to the wingers to track to trap runners inside but I mean, it was Morgan Rogers that scored. It's it's hardly going to be. I mean, Sarmiento was the closest one to him. It's hardly going to be Sarmiento's man in most of the game when you're thinking about who scored. So, yeah, it's 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 how we set up. We'd rather force crosses to come into the box and defend them. I think than have to try and defend cutbacks that are, I mean, almost always more dangerous. You mentioned Newcastle there, Pete. I, I just want to I just want to dwell on him slightly because I felt he had a worrying afternoon. Um, uh, he, he was he was dispossessed four times in the game. Now let me that that's just a number in isolation. I, I realise to most people. So let me put that into sort into some sort of context. Okay, Koslu normally gets dispossessed 0.7 times per game. So so you, we can generally say on average, okay, Koslu is about once every two games he gets he, he gets the ball taken off him. It happened four times to him against Middlesbrough. I mean, to again, put that into another bit of perspective, in our last away game against Rotherham, the entire team got dispossessed only six times. It It's not something that we see from OK Yokoslu, is getting the ball taken off him. He is, I, I, would, I would go as far as to say, he is our most secure player in possession in most games. Yet he had a horrible, horrible afternoon on Saturday against Middlesbrough losing the ball four times and he lost it in dangerous areas Pete I think it's him that loses although the although the video doesn't go back far enough on on the highlights I believe it's him that actually loses it in the build-up to the goal as well but there was a there was a couple of times when I think I think it's him that gets uh, that gets dispossessed as well when Middlesbrough break away for um, for the Isaiah Jones chance as well and there's there's a number of times when in the game where he didn't just lose the ball, he lost the ball and it immediately resulted in a very, very big chance for Middlesbrough. And I'm, uh, the reason that I'm highlighting this is not to have a go at OK, because there isn't, uh, uh, OK is often described as a Rolls-Royce of a footballer. And I, I, I make 
I have no doubt in my mind that that's exactly what he is. He's far too good for this level. He's a fantastic footballer at this level of football. But I would also say that at times what we have seen when we've asked an awful lot of football from OK is a massive drop off in performance when he when he doesn't get a bit of a break. And I'm just worried that if the, the, is there a little bit more rotation that's needed with Yukoslu? Because we, we did rotate him a little bit earlier in the season. We, we, we rotated him with Chalaba at, uh, at times. We've obviously got the option of Malumbi as well, but Chalaba seems to have fallen a bit out of favour in, in recent weeks as an alternative to, to Yukoslu because probably because we played quite poorly without Yukoslu when he was, when he was suspended. And uh, yeah, I, I just kind of, I just worry that if we keep going back and back and back to the well, especially in in this period where we've got four games in 10 days, that we're going to see a massive drop off in OK Koslu's performances because we've seen it before. And it's unusual that we sit here on this podcast and have anything negative to say about, about Yukoslu. But he had an awful day yesterday, didn't he? In terms, in terms of being dispossessed, he had, his, his passing was still good. His his short passing was still good. He still got a pass completion rate in the in the nineties. But he can't lose the ball four times, not in the areas he loses it. Yeah, I think um, three of the, the times he was dispossessed as well were in his own half, so that makes it worse. Um, and a lot of the time he was dropping into centre back um, against Middlesbrough. I think that was part of the plan, but. It just means that when he does lose the ball, it's generally in, in very, very dangerous areas. Um, you know, he's always very calm on the ball and, and sometimes looks a bit too relaxed for my liking, but generally he keeps the ball really well. So, you know, it, it doesn't really matter how it looks like, what it, what he looks like when he's doing it. Um, but yeah, it just felt like he wasn't really on top of his game against Middlesbrough. He wasn't as strong in his jaws, wasn't as strong in the air. Um, he looked tired, didn't he, Pete? Yeah, I think so. And well, we said at the start that a lot of the team looked tired, and that didn't help. But yeah, it just felt like there was. It felt like we were either dropping Yukushlu into centre back or Mo into centre back and building up with a back three a lot of the time, and just having one of those two in in the middle to be um, the pivot, if you like. And it just felt like maybe we needed another man next to them because every time the ball went into them and they were getting pressed, it looked like we were ready to give the ball away, and that there just weren't enough options to to keep the ball in there. So as well as him looking tired, it felt like Middlesbrough were set up really well to to force those turnovers. Um, and to me, it also felt like maybe we could have done a bit more, could have changed it tactically to get a few more people around him so that um, maybe we're building up with two central midfielders and, and don't give the ball away so cheaply in there. Or even if we do give the ball away, we've maybe got another central midfielder close by to, to try and win the ball back quickly after we've lost it. But uh, as I said at the start, I think, a lot of it was Middlesbrough were excellent against us. Admittedly, we played play poorly, but it's not like we played poorly and were completely our own downfall. I think Middlesbrough were very good and, and I think we would have struggled on any day even, we, even if we were playing well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. That being said, Pete, the first half was, you know, pretty pretty acceptable, fairly even, uh, four shots to four. Um, they they dispossessed us as much as we dispossessed them. We had eight corners to their one. one. We more, won more tackles than them. The drop-off came in the second half. I mean, they had eight shots to our five. Uh, they they won uh, 14 tackles to our nine. Um, they, dispossessed, uh, they dispossessed us 11 times to the seven times we dispossessed them. I mean, first half, I thought I thought we were we were pretty decent. We we were mainly a threat from set plays. We've obviously had that the, the header from Bartley that's come off the come off the post, and then the balls come in and uh, come back in, and the keepers made a really really good save from from Darnell Furlong. I also thought that not going to say that the referee had any influence on the outcome of the game because Middlesbrough should have won that game, you know, comfortably. It it probably should have been two or three nil quite easily so I'm I'm not saying the referee influenced the game but I I did think that the way he was blowing up for a foul on uh, on Bartley every time the ball came in and of the three that he gave fouls for when the ball came in I I thought only one of them was actually a foul so I thought that was that was a little bit frustrating when we were genuinely getting quite a bit of joy from from set plays but generally speaking it looked like Borough were were a bit of a threat from open play, but not really doing anything until the until the goal came. I didn't uh, d- don't remember Alex Palmer other than the early save where Isaiah Jones goes through having to really do anything, and yet the game at half time just completely turned on its head. And generally speaking, we sit here and we talk about Albion being a second half team when Corbran has the opportunity to get into them at half time we generally come out much, much better in the second half. Well, that was the complete opposite against Middlesbrough. And I just kind of want to want to ask a one word question to you, which is why? I mean, it, was it was it just energy levels sapping away or was it the case that on, on this rare occasion, it does happen every now and then that Michael Carrick wins the managerial battle against uh, against Carlos Corbran and, and makes some intelligent changes at, at half time, which which actually outfox the Spaniard, which happens extremely rarely. But as as we said with Neil Warnock after the Huddersfield game, it can happen. What what do you think the reasons were for? Because because you know we're obviously going to have a bit of recency bias, and we're going to sit here and we're going to say that was universally a terrible performance against Middlesbrough. It wasn't actually. The first half was okay. It wasn't wasn't brilliant first half, but it wasn't terrible either. The second half was absolutely appalling, and that's and that's why you're all you are going to remember the second half because it's the most recent thing that's happened. But it was also absolutely abysmal. And to be honest. As I said before, to lose that only one nil flatters us because it, according to all the data, it was the most comprehensive defeat we've had this season, and yet we somehow only lost the game one nil. But uh, yeah, I just want to know why? Why did the, the the balance of power tip so heavily in Middlesbrough's favour after the break, Pete? I felt we were just outnumbered in almost every phase of play. Like when Middlesbrough would counter, they'd get men forward and seem to have more forward than we'd have back. Um... When it was the other way around, and Albion were countering, Middlesbrough just seemed to get men back really quickly and 
Albion struggled to get men forward, um, of which you could say it's maybe an energy issue. Um, just, you know, getting forward and backwards quickly and transitioning quickly. It's, you got to have the energy and the, the willingness to, to, to get to do that very quickly and sprint. At the same time, it felt like we were a bit stubborn in our approach. Um, to me, it looked like we needed to, because Middlesbrough were, were pressing as well and, and forcing turnovers and we were struggling to break them down through building up and we were getting a lot of players deep in the pitch to try and build up through them um, and have those kind of options to, to pass through them. But then if we ever did, which was fairly rare, we'd get forward and only have Brandon Thomas Sante forward. Um, and it felt like to me, maybe we could have got Tom Fellows on at half time, done it a bit earlier and just played a few because he's, he's very willing to run in behind. Um, he's fairly quick. Paul Brand never ever likes to do that though, does he? Half time changes. It's just it's it's not in his mo at all. Uh, my my dad and I were talking about this at, at half time, uh, saying uh, we we felt we needed a change, but we also felt there's no way Corbran will do it because he never ever does. Yeah, it's not another manager that only makes changes on sixty minutes, is it? But <laughs> yeah, yet yet interestingly, he doesn't get the same level of criticism for it. Baldas can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, either way, it felt like. It just felt like we needed to stretch the stretch the back line, make him drop a few yards, and give us a bit more space to play through. Um, and if we'd brought on Tom Fellows, then his willingness to run in behind would have allowed us just to play a few balls over the top. Just give the middles for centre backs a bit of doubt in their mind what we're going to do because a lot of the game just felt very predictable. They knew that the ball was going to be in front of them, and I mean you always hear ex pro centre backs saying that the the one thing that he used to hate to do was run in, have players running in behind them, and and worry about having to turn and and drop back. Um, they always like to have the game played in front of them, and it felt like we were just unwilling to do that. And I think that's probably why Fellows was brought on. Um, the, the there's, trouble... some, there's something in making the change at half time over making it. What was it? Ten minutes into the second half, though, Pete. Because I think I'm right in saying if you make the change at half time, it doesn't count as one of your substitution windows. Yeah, so you can still. You still got well. You got four subs, haven't you? But then it doesn't count as stopping the play. Five so subs, you, isn't it? Well, yeah. But if you brought fellows on it, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, then you yeah. still got four. Um, ah, you've. I see what you've done there. You've done five minus one, and you've flum- <laughs> you've flummoxed me with your your year two maths there, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you've still got the. You can still stop the play three times. I think after that to to make the rest of your four substitutions. Um, so yeah, I suppose if you. It gives you a little bit more options, um, but we, yeah, I, th- I think we were unwilling to. Once fellows came on, we we struggled to build up even more. I think because he's not secure in possession and not as confident in deeper areas as Samiento is. Um, so it was. I see why it was done, but then we struggled to build up at all to even have the chance to try and play him behind. So in one way, you think it might be benefiting us, but. I think we missed that. We were missing Sarmiento when he went off as well in trying to build up. So it was, it felt a lot of the game felt like Carrot got the best of court run to me. Um, like I said, I think Middlesbrough were excellent. We struggled to find, find the ways to, to break them down, to get through them and to even defend them. Because like I said, when they broke on us, they always seemed to have an extra man going forward as well. And they created some really good chances. And if it hadn't been for, for Alex Palmer in goal, then, I'm sure they would have scored a couple more. Just want to talk about the forward players, Pete. Um, I mean, I mentioned about 
Yukoslu getting dispossessed four times during the game. The the other player who dis- got dispossessed the same amount of times was Grady Dean Garner, which is not necessarily that unusual. And it's not anywhere near as worrying as OK Yukoslu getting dispossessed because, as you quite rightly say, OK Yukoslu was dispossessed three out of the four times in his own uh, in his own half. He's pl- he's dropping into a centre back position. He loses the ball. It's a big big threat. Grady is generally losing the ball much further up the field. That uh, And also, you want Grady to be taking players on. That having been said, Grady wasn't taking players on. He attempted one take-on in the whole game. He didn't He didn't even complete it. He just looked utterly lacklustre. And, and, and I felt like Grady's been on the periphery of games for a few weeks. I think Sarmiento is... He's like a roller coaster of a footballer for me. He's 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 either doing absolutely fantastic things or he's making the wrong decisions, and there doesn't doesn't seem to be a lot in between when it comes to it comes to Jeremy Sarmiento. We will talk about the other attacker, Brandon Thomas Asante, but I know you've got quite a strong opinion on on on, on the the assessment of his of his display. So we'll, we'll save him for just for just a moment, but. Dean Garner and and Sarmiento, I mean, we're going to look at the numbers around how Albion play with and without Matt Phillips. But since Matt Phillips went out the side, I feel like um, Dean Garner has struggled a lot more and we've seen a massive drop off in his performances. As I say, he feels on the periphery of games and Sarmiento is an extremely different player to Phillips and I feel like he's he he struggled to fill those boots. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I said when Phillips got injured that I think we've probably lost our most important player. I don't think he's necessarily been our best performer this season, but I think what he does is makes him our most important player. Uh, we've got no other wingers that, that contribute the same as Phillips does defensively. And to be fair, it, it limits our options of going into a back five because I don't think we've got anyone that Corran would want to play as the left wing back other than Matt Phillips um, because a lot of that role is actually playing as a as a winger as soon as we get the ball and do you think when he's up to speed reach can potentially do that I know, I know that I know there'll be people uh, sat listening to this going shut up Chris but uh, because Adam reach is far from the most popular player but I, we we've lost something without Matt Phillips haven't we and uh, and I just feel like Adam reach is the it, whilst he's by nowhere near as good as Matt Phillips, and I'm not pretending he is, I feel like he's the closest thing to Matt Phillips we've got. Yeah, I think so, because, I mean, naturally he's a winger, but he's also very willing to, to do his defensive duties and, and get back. And from what we've seen of him, he seems to be a very fit a very fit player and will get up and down the flank as well. So I think he's probably an option when he's back to full fitness to do that role. Um if Corbran wants to go back to a back five, because well we've been we've been sticking with the back four recently, but I just don't know how much of that is by choice or being forced to because Corbran doesn't fancy any, anyone else as the left wing back in that particular system. Um well, it doesn't have to be one or the other either, does it, Pete? Because it could it what it could be is a four in possession and a five out of possession where where Townsend tucks inside as the third centre half and, and Reach drops back into the left wing back role. Yeah, and I mean, um, when we were playing a, a back five, it was generally a four in possession because because Phillips would be straight up the pitch as soon as we won the ball and straight into like a left winger position. Maybe it wasn't a four left at the back because Furlong might start inverting as well and coming inside. But yeah, I, you know, formations are very fluid and. A generally a different shape when you've got the ball compared to when you've not got the ball and players are asked to, to fill different 
positions on the pitch. Um, but I imagine if we did go back to a back five and when Rubic is available, then you'd probably see Eric Peters coming back into the side as well. Because um, I think Corbran likes to have a bit more of a, well, he's just a more natural centre-back than Townsend is. Um, he's got more height. He's probably better in the air than Townsend. Um, so it's it's those kind of things where it'd be nice to have a direct replacement for Phillips that's fit and where we can still decide whether we want to play back four or back five. But at the minute, it seems like whether Corbran would want to or not, it doesn't matter because we've not got the, the personnel available to to do that. So, yeah, Matt Phillips has been a massive loss in what he offers in terms of his work rate, the way he presses and defends, he's he's very smart about it, as well as having a lot of energy to do it, and also very effective up the pitch. You know, you can see that when he's playing, you can see that he's got a lot of experience behind him. He's he makes the right decisions, and he's also got quality at the end of it. So it was always going to be a big a big hole to fill, and Samiento is a very different player to Matt Phillips, and I just. I don't think Sarmiento's route, I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. I think he's, defensively, I think he's improved. And there was a couple of times against Middlesbrough that he was tracking back and, and you know, like would overtake a Middlesbrough player that's running forward and then... He's so fast, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. He'd overtake the Middlesbrough player running forward and then make the tackle. And I think that's something we wouldn't have seen from him at the start of the season. Um, in that first game against Blackburn, it felt like he was a bit lazy off the ball or just not fully fit. But I think that's changed and he's improving in that respect. Um, we just need to see a bit more end product from him consistently because you can see that he's got the ability to to be a really, really good footballer. Um, but we just need a bit more end product from him, I think. Let me just put some numbers around the loss of Matt Phillips, Pete, because, I mean, you're right, it, it's a huge hole to fill. And I, I I just don't think, you know, as you, you said there, it'd be lovely to have a direct replacement for Matt Phillips. I just don't think one exists at championship level. I just don't think you have players in their 30s with that kind of experience and that Premier League experience, that know-how, that versatility, that quality on uh, on the ball, but also defensive ability and attacking ability. I think it's very easy to underestimate how much Matt Phillips gives you and how incredibly difficult that is to find. I don't I don't think a championship club has Matt Phillips unless they've got relegated from the Premier League with Matt Phillips in their team. Let's put it that way. And uh, I think the uh, and I think I also think if Matt Phillips had a better injury record, I think he would have been bought by somebody a long, long time ago. I don't think he'd still... I think he's only a, only a West Brom player because because he misses huge chunks of every single season and therefore nobody's going to come and pay a good a good wage and a good and a good transfer fee for him and and I don't blame them for that but when he's on the pitch he's unbelievable and the, the stats go to show it Pete with Matt Phillips under Carlos Corbran we've played 29 games won 17 of them drawn 5 lost 7 now that's a points per game of 1.93 you extrapolate that over a 46 game season that's 88.78 points so call it 89 points over a season now this season's being a bit of a freak season and it'll probably it probably takes something like 100 points to get promoted the way Leicester and Ipswich are going but in any normal season 89 points gets you automatic promotion without Matty Phillips we've played 24 games won nine drawn five lost 10 that's a points per game of 1.33 again extrapolate that over over a whole season and that's 61.18 uh, points. That doesn't make you the playoffs. 
generally speaking, in pretty much any season. So the difference between having Matt Phillips is being an automatic promotion contending team and not having Matt Phillips is being a team that's not even good enough to make the playoffs. And that for one player, that is a phenomenal drop off. But that and this isn't this isn't small numbers of data, Pete. This is, you know, we're looking at 53 games here, 29 with and 24 uh, without. That is, that's that's plenty big enough sample size of data to be able to draw some conclusions. And, and to go from a team that is automatic promotion form with that player, but not even just outside playoff form without him, is an enormous drop-off, isn't it? Yeah, that's massive. And I don't think it's something you'd consider unexpected because you can see it when you're watching the games that he makes such a huge impact to our performance but to have the numbers against it and actually show it in that way really hits home how important Matt Phillips is to to what we're doing and Colbrand's got the best out of him um it's probably the best football he's been playing for a fair few years and Colbrand's managed to get that out of him which makes it even more frustrating that his injuries just keep coming as well Colbrand's got to find a solution to, to start picking up the points again even without Matt Phillips because we know we're missing him now and there's nothing we can do about that other than you know find the solution to to how we pick up points without him and how we perform well without him um cuz that's all we need at the end of the day what's the solution to our center forward problems at the moment Pete uh, i know this is something you want to talk about because Brandon Thomas Sasante is getting an awful lot of criticism on social media after his display against Middlesbrough now it was a pretty anonymous display. Um, he had the least touches of any Albion player who, uh, who who started the game. That's not necessarily that unusual for a centre-forward, but he had zero touches in the opposition penalty area. He had one shot, uh, none on target. He didn't play any any passes um, into the opposition uh, final third um, uh, or any progressive passes, I should say. And his average position, in when you look at the touch map, was actually in his own half. Now, none of that reads particularly well for Brandon Thomas Asante, but as we always say on this podcast, context is enormously important and there are reasons behind the data and the 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 bad the, the what looks like a bad display. It's certainly it's certainly not a good display, let's put it that put it that way. And I don't think I don't think anybody here is pretending that it is, but I think you've got a bit more a bit more sympathy for Brandon Thomas Asante and his performance against Middlesbrough than a, a lot of the supporters online seem to have. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of the criticism he's getting is unfair because he spent most of the game against Middlesbrough completely isolated. Um, we were drawing back so many players into deep positions to try and build up from deep against Middlesbrough and Middlesbrough were pressing us high, which was forcing us to get more players involved deep. So whenever the ball actually made it up the pitch to Brandon Thompson-Sante, he had very few options and was usually coming up against two middles for centre-backs. Um, so he, yeah, um, unexpected, well, no, expectedly, he would often lose the ball once it got into him. Um, I... But for balance, Pete, there was some bad decision-making in there as well. I mean, we were chatting off-air and I I highlighted the one where, where he picked up the ball, isolated one-on-one with Dale Fry. Dale Fry knows... Brandon's quicker than him, drops off two yards and 
Brandon just needs to keep the ball tight and uh, and and run at him. Instead, for some unknown reason, he punts the ball past Dale Fry with with a two yard head start and and thinks that thinks that he can burn him for pace with that. I I completely agree. He was isolated. It, some of his decision making though does need to be better in in those sorts of situations. Some of his runs as well. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say he had a good performance at all. I think some of his decision making, like you said, there was wrong, and there was a couple of passes that looked like they were on that he didn't play. So in no way was it a good performance. But I think the level of criticism he's getting is completely unwarranted because he was so isolated most of the time and. He, put any striker in that situation and they're going to come out worse and not look very good. And then... Is that what his average position is as deep as it is, Pete? He's come hunting for the ball. Well, I think it's a mixture of that and the fact that when we did manage to get up the pitch, Middlesbrough just had so many men back that Brandon, well, as a team, we struggled to get into the Middlesbrough box and actually create any chances. So that led to Thomas Santin not actually getting any touch, well, not getting many touches, if any, in the opposition box um, or around it, which would drag his average position up the pitch. So that's where I think it's kind of down to Middlesbrough being really good defensively, um, that when they got back, they got back in numbers. They packed their own box and made it really difficult to break down after we'd broken them down in our um, half to to play through them. After we got that, they'd get numbers back and it'd be really difficult for us to create any chances. So therefore... The striker's not going to get many touches. It's just going to be like the central midfielders on the edge of the box and the, the fullbacks and wingers on the side of the box just kind of passing the ball around, circulating it, waiting for the opportunity to come where we can try and play it into the box. And it very rarely did come because Middlesbrough were holding the shape so well. So I just thought that, that Thomas Asante was always going to struggle in that game. You put almost any striker into that position and they're going to struggle because... They're just completely isolated. They've always got more defenders around them than they've got their own teammates. So it's always going to be difficult. And I think Thomas Asante was you know, getting the criticism for that rather than maybe people considering how difficult a job he actually had against Middlesbrough. Last thing about Middlesbrough, um, I do want to try and finish on a positive because there weren't many. Um, we, we, I mean, I, I, I honestly think if if you go through the entire outfield players i think the only one that has a smidge of credit after uh, after that game was jed wallace who i uh, who i thought really really tried to drive us up the field and did a lot of the things quite well that a lot of the other players weren't doing but he couldn't do it on his own the reason that i quite specifically said outfield players there is because our goalkeeper was outstanding and two unbelievable saves from uh, from alex palmer i mean i've said a couple of times on this pod pete that was our most comprehensive defeat of the season, despite only losing 1-0. The reason it was only 1-0 was Alex Palmer. The save from Morgan Rogers on 61 minutes, the one he tips onto the post, had a post-shot expected goals of 0.94. So for anybody who doesn't understand what that means, that means that after Rogers has struck the ball, so based on the quality of the strike and everything like that, it has a 94% chance of going in. So for a keeper to save that is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Because 94% of goalkeepers would not save that. And even the Isaiah Jones one, when he when he gets put down by the uh, down the side and he shoots across goal and uh, and Palmer palms it onto Kipre and then and then gathers the the second ball, had a post shot expected goals of 0.63. So again, a 63% chance of going in. To make those two saves, Pete is absolutely unbelievable and whilst it didn't 
make any difference in terms of the overall result. It's stopped us from having what I really, I think genuinely could have been a really damaging defeat where we we went there and and, uh, and we got absolutely beat up. I, I easily could have got beat up 3-0, possibly even 4-0. Sam Greenwood's had a had a great chance um, uh, sliding in at the far post to score, which he's which he's put over and he should probably score. I think that had um, I think that had an XG of of about 0.43. So you know it could have been embarrassing, and the reason it wasn't was our goalkeeper. Absolutely, Palmer completely kept us in it as well as Greenwood missing that sitter, but he made some terrific saves and. I've not seen the replay of it, I don't think, but even in the first half, I think he made a good save at his near post. So, yeah, few, huge credit to him. Like I say, I thought Wallace had a he had an alright game. He was trying hard, but I thought Alex Moat was pretty good in midfield as well. He made a lot of tackles and, and broke up um, some Middlesbrough attacks that, again, maybe would have made the, the result even worse than it was. Um, to keep the scoreline to only 1-0 after that kind of performance, Palmer's done really well, and it, it might be quite important to us because losing 1-0 away from home to what is a good side in the division um, I don't think the table's really reflecting that at the minute but they are a good side Almost maybe, might even call them very good but losing only 1-0 away from home to them is is much more respectable and much less disheartening than it would be if we'd gone out and lost 2 or 3-0 um, well, and and goal difference as well, Pete. Let's not forget we went into the final day of last season, and there was there was stages in in that season in that day where, I mean, the reason the reason that our opportunity for 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 playoffs ran away from us a little bit on that final day was because our goal difference wasn't quite good enough. It wasn't as good as as the other teams that that were up there. So to actually not get your goal difference absolutely destroyed in in a game. Because I, I think that I I've said this on social media. I think the top four are gone. Like um, I I just uh, the the top four will be Leicester, Ipswich, Southampton, and Leeds in some order. I don't think it will necessarily be the order it is now, but they will be the top four, which leaves the rest of us fighting for two places. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that the rest of the rest of this division. You can go so far down and find and find playoff candidates. I think there's teams that are up there at the moment, like Preston and Cardiff, who I think will fall away. And I think there's teams that are further down the, the table, like Coventry and Middlesbrough, who are a lot better than their league position would suggest. And I think they will be there or thereabouts in terms of the playoff mix. And I, I really think for that fifth and sixth place, I think it's going to be so tight. And I think goal difference could be a factor. Yeah, I personally think... It'll be Leeds and Leicester that go up. Probably Leicester top. Um, I think Leeds will overtake Ipswich at some point. But then after that, um, assuming Ipswich keep up pace with with Leeds and make it a, an interesting promotion race, then it's going to be it's going to be difficult to to fill the rest of the playoff spots because Southampton are definitely going to be up there. Like you say, there seems like Coventry and Middlesbrough that will probably improve throughout the rest of the season and start climbing the table. Hopefully, we'll still be able to to keep up pace and and stay up there. But there's other teams like Hull, and it's going to be tight for the rest of the spots. There's going to be a lot of teams fighting for it, and yeah, goal difference might be might come down to to the deciding factor. So even if we're losing games, losing by one goal rather than two or threes could be huge come the end of the season. And it's always better for morale to to only lose by one. Um, yeah, I mean. 
Well, and in, and in a game where you're playing absolutely terrible, Pete, it it also means you, you've only got to have one break of the ball. You've only got to win a free kick. You've only got to win a set piece. And, and you end up getting a massively undeserved point out of a game, which, which whilst it didn't come to transpire against Middlesbrough, could have done. Yeah, so Alex Palmer walks away with a lot of credit from that game. He did basically everything he could to to help us nick a point. Um, it just wasn't to be. We didn't we didn't create anything up at the other end of the field to. Well, after after their goal went in, we didn't create anything at the other end to to be able to nick that point. So you know we walk away with with no points in a one 0 loss, but it could have been a lot lot worse if it hadn't been for Alex Palmer. Lastly, we move on to. Norwich City on Boxing Day at uh, at the Hawthorns. We've talked about the fatigue. We've talked about the, the you know potentially the, the shape. How much do you think Corbram will change it going into that game? He's he's obviously picked the same starting eleven two games in a row. Now we haven't won either of them. We've took one point from from those from those two games. Do you and and he and it's rare as well that he comes out and openly criticizes the players, but I think criticizing their energy can uh, criticizing um giving a hundred percent I think is criticizing the players. I, he clearly was not happy with what he'd seen from his from his charges. Do you do you think there will be do you think there'll be big changes in personnel, possibly even a change in, in shape going into Norwich? I think we might bring depending on his fitness, I think Swift might start. And I think we also might bring in Jason Malumbi, um, because well he just offers a lot of energy and if you need somebody to, to run in behind, he's definitely not the quickest, but he's probably one of the most willing runners in the squad. Um and he did it against Rotherham, he did it against Blackburn first game of the season when he was playing in that ten role. So he just offers the energy to run in behind if you do need to stretch the defence. Um but, you know, hopefully Corbran and the players will learn a few things from the Middlesbrough game and we can go on and improve and fingers crossed we can have a better result on Boxing Day. Yeah, I'm not sure the boys they're not sure the boys will be getting a, a lot of time off this Christmas. Um and I, I think if the, I think if they'd wanted to earn themselves um a day off, I think they should have done a done a damn sight better in the northeast than uh, than they did. It might be um it it, it I think it's going to be a, a late um Christmas dinner for them after after quite a extensive training session on on Christmas day. Uh, that would be that would be my best guess anyway. Anyway, we shall leave it there for today as uh, the games continue to come thick and fast over the Christmas period and so will the pods. Um, we've uh, we've done a little bit of a longer one than we expected to today. Uh, probably needed to pick the bones out of what was an absolutely terrible performance. Um, so unfortunately, sometimes the the worst ones give you the most to talk about uh, and that uh, and that's the reason why we've 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 spoken so much about that game but obviously Norwich coming up uh, on um on Boxing Day we'll do a podcast after that might be a little bit shorter than the than the usual ones uh, and then we're we're straight into the the games after that of course um, Leeds and then and then Swansea to to come but we will get, bring you podcasts after each of those games even if they are a little bit shorter. Let's just uh, let's just hope if we do end up doing a longer one, it's because we've got so many good things to talk about as opposed to so many bad, which was the case today. But until then, thanks for listening. And of course, to all our listeners, thank you so much for listening throughout the, this year. We we do really, really appreciate it. You know, um, there's there's no point in us doing what we do if if people if people don't uh, don't listen and appreciate. Um, the the podcast that we put together because you know obviously we're we're giving up uh, our free time to to do it 
and we love doing it, but we love doing it because because people listen to it. People give us great feedback on the on the various podcast channels and and on social media. And well, hopefully, we're gonna we're gonna be able to ramp up the content a little bit as we go into twenty twenty four. Pete and I have uh, been having some chats. We've got some uh, we've got some exciting little plans in the in the pipeline. So um, we'll we'll keep those under wraps just for the time being uh, they they won't be unwrapped until after christmas as with any good present but uh, yeah we we might have a few little things for you going into the into the new year as a bit of a thank you for um for uh, watching our content listening to our content you know sorry viewing our content on social media listening to the podcast um, a, a few extra bits and bobs hopefully coming in 2024 but uh, yeah, i'll leave that as a little teaser for now but until then Thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.